With the help of Hashem, we are learning Bavakama Dav Kufyud Gimel. We left off on Dav Kufyud Gimel, on Dav Kufyud Beis, Amid Beis, two lines before the bottom of the Amid, continuing to learn the various procedures that Beisdin will do to someone, someone, and Beisdin's reaction ultimately, possibly leading to putting someone in a cheirem if they do not comply with Beisdin. And as we learned in the previous year, there is people completely ignoring the Beisdin. In other words, they're summoned and they don't come. That type of, that type of non-compliance will earn them an immediate ban versus people who comply. They come to Beisdin, they claim it's not true, then they claim they don't have the money, then they claim they're trying to make the money, to find the money, to sell property, etc. There, there is a much longer wait that Beisden will afford the guilty party until ultimately, if that person doesn't pay up, he again will be put into a ban. So continues the Gemara again, Kufyud Beis, Ahmed Beis, two lines from the bottom. Ahmed Avina says, Ravina, Yohavinon, Zimna, that we are allowed to serve summons. Ah, interesting. Zimna means a time. Serving summons is called, you give a person a time. You can serve a time through a woman or through a neighbor. In other words, Beisdin has a official clerk of the court, a shliach Beisdin. Obviously, ideally, he should be the one going, summoning whoever needs to be summoned. But if the Beisdin, for whatever reason, finds it easier, more convenient, to send a message through a woman or through a neighbor that is also considered a valid summons. And if that person does not come, oh, then we consider that person to be in contempt of court and this chedem could immediately be opposed upon that person. Clarifies, limits the Gemara, the, the law of Ravinas only said, it's only if the litigant being called does not live in the same city of Beisden. However, Kufyud Gimel, Abel Isa Bemasa, but if they live, the defendant lives in the same city of the Beisden, Loi, says Rashi Loi, we don't ban that person for not coming because Beisden here will have to assume that the person never received the summons. Not because we don't trust the woman or the neighbor, because the woman or the neighbor will say, the Amrinon, Emer Loi Amrulai. Perhaps they did not give over the message because at the end of the day, the woman or the neighbor will say to themselves, okay, I know they asked me to relay the message, but being that Beisden lives or they are open, they function in this same city, Mestama, they already told the defendant to come. So when a person feels that they're not needed, then it's possible that the person did not do what they were asked to do. Anyways, it would get done. So maybe the defendant never got the message, and you're not allowed to react by putting the person in a chedem when you don't know for sure that indeed they received it. No, it's the Amri, the woman or the neighbor will say that that the Beisden send their proper clerk. Yeah, they asked us, you know, just as a backup, as a double summons. But, but that, that defendant would know about it anyways. Big lesson in life. People only do what they're asked to do many times when they feel that they are essentially needed. Right. And furthermore, we only we don't see the law of Ravina that we can put a person in a chedim for not coming. Even if the person, the defendant, the person who's being summoned lives in another city, but he actually had no business coming to the city of the Beisdin. But even if he lives in another city, but the woman or the neighbor found out that he actually walked by the Beisdin itself. So again, the woman or the neighbor might think, ah, he walked by Beisden. For sure, Beisden already communicated directly to this litigant that he has a date, he has a summons. So we, we're not needed. And it could be not the Beisden told him and not the woman told him. He never found out. That again, lie because Amri, because the woman or the neighbor will say, Beisden already encountered him and gave him the summons. And furthermore, when can Beisden appoint a woman or a neighbor the point is, a non-official clerk of Beisden, if that woman or neighbor will see the litigant the same day that Beisden asked them to relay the message. If something is not my job, it cannot be expected of me to remember. For me to remember from today to today, yeah. But for me to remember what happened yesterday, 
as we get older, we see that, yeah, we don't always remember. But if Beisdin knows that the woman will not meet him today, then why? Then you can't ban that person for not coming because Ema Beisdin should say that that this person, the woman or the neighbor, forgot. If a person already had this ban written and they want to get it ripped up because they're going to comply if they were banned because they did not come to Beisdin, even if after they are banned, they say, all right, I'm coming. Rip it up now, I'm coming. No. If initially they refuse to come, until they actually come, Beisdin should not undo the ban, should not rip it up. However, also, if a person got a bill of excommunication written on them because they did not obey, they came, but then they did not listen, they didn't pay up. Here also, until they listen, we don't rip it up. As the Gemara of Elohi, Kivin the Amar that the moment a person who initially began to interact with the Beisdin, it's only that later they did not pay up. And therefore, the person ultimately had this bill of excommunication written on them. Such a person, when they say, I will listen, at least initially, we do rip up the bill of excommunication, and we don't need to wait until they actually pay up. That when we are speaking about based in sending out summons, and if a person ignores them from the outset, they immediately get put into a chedem. You should know that summons are not sent only once, but we actually send three summons. First, the person is asked to come on Monday, then on Thursday, and then on Monday. In other words, it's zimna, the zimna basa zimna. It's a time and then a time after the time. And only and only if the person doesn't come the third time, and even on the third time on the final Monday, if they don't come until the end of the day, we don't write the Chedim during that very day. The Chedim is only written on the following day. Says the Gemara Rav Asi, or Rav Ashi, Ikla visited the household of Rav Kahana, the household of Rav Kahana, and he saw that Rav Kahana, the Azmina Bapanya had summoned a woman to come to him to Adentoida for a certain evening and she did not come that one evening. In other words, she broke the one summons and the next morning he already wrote this bill of excommunication. So Amar Lei, so Rav Asi, or the Messiah Sasha says, Rav Ashi asked do you not agree with that which Rabchizda taught that that a person is summoned three times only then do you write the psicha she was only summoned once so Rabchizda responded that's only by a man who might have circumstances that is out of his control being that men work Bizman Chazal was very rare for women to work and not to work out of town. So therefore we can argue the reason why he didn't come the first time was because he was not in the city. So we give him three summons. Avalitsa, but a woman, even the Isabamasa sin, she's commonly, usually in the city. And if Asya she doesn't come after one calling, then already we can say Moiradasi, she is in contempt of court. And by the way, halachically we say we say the same by a man that if Bayzdin knows he was able to come after the first summons and he did not, then at least theoretically a chedim can immediately be put on him. Continues the Gemara, Amr Rabbi Yehuda says, Rabbi Yehuda lo yehivna zimna, that we never summon a person, lo yehivna the Nisan, not during the days of Nisan, lo yehivna the Tishrei, and not during the month of Tishrei, lo yehivna le yom toiva, not erev yom tiv, lo yehivna lo shabbat, not erev shabbat, however, explains the Gemara, that what Rabbi Yehuda is saying, is that you don't ask someone to come to Beisdin on Nisan or during Tishrei, However, but to send summons during Nisan, but he's being asked, he's being summoned to come after Nisan, 
Likewise, for him to receive the summons, but he's being called to come, that you could do Kavinon. However, but summoning a person on Erev Shabbos, even if the time is, let's say, on Monday, even that, we do not do my Tama, what's the reason? Because we say that this person, being that we are busy getting ready for Shabbos, he'll forget that he received the summons. In the times of Chazal, people gathered to learn every Shabbos and Shul, and that gathering was called Kala. So if Beisdin was having a hard time finding someone, Beisdin, the Rav, should not say, Ah, that Yid is coming to learn Shabbos and Shul. So I'll notify him during the Kala that he's being asked to come on Monday. We don't do that. Nor people who 30 days before the Yantiv, there's an obligation on the communal leader to teach Shilchas HaChag. So many people gather to learn. There also one should not summon a Jew who came to learn during this gathering of learning because we don't want for people, so to say, to uh, be afraid to come to learn. Ki it once happened that a Yid who came to learn Shabbos by Rav Nachman's Kala, by Rav Nachman's Drasha, and the litigants who were asking Rav Nachman, hey, we got to summon him. And Rav Nachman was unable to find him. And here he was there. So they asked Rav Nachman, why don't you and summon him? So Rav Nachman told them, was the gathering for your purpose? The gathering was for learn Torah. This should be, so to say, a, a time that people cannot be troubled with anything other than the learning. However, sadly, says the Gemara, nowadays, the Ikaramai, that you have many people that are charlatans, and they take evade the summons of a Beisdin, and if Beisdin will not give him the summons during the Kala, during the Rigla, they might never get in, so Chayshinan, we are afraid of that, and we give the summons even during the Kala, and even during the Rigla. Now the Gemara is referring back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah says that in Hoya Dover Shiesh is that when a father stole, God forbid, and he passed away, and he niach name in front of his heirs. So the Mishnah says that if that which is stolen is something that has achrayis, which normally refers to land, then the children have to give it back to the father. So says the Gemara, we had this in the beginning of the Patek, that Masni lay Rebbe le Rabshimen Berei, that Rebbe taught his son Rabshimen, loy dover sheyesh beyachrayis mamish, our Mishnah is not only referring to land, karkein and exelis, and therefore yehosh or not is irrelevant, and avada the Yarshim have to return the land to the original owner, el afilu parav even if the father stole a cow. And the children would like to use it to plow their fields or chamoir, or if the father, God forbid, stole a donkey, or Muhammad Akhrav, and the children want to guide it in the street to carry their stuff. And when there was Yush, being that we're going to go according to Rami Bar Chama, that holds that, she, that Rishus Yoyrish is Kirishus Lekayach, you have Yush, you have a Shina Rishus, so therefore you should argue they own it. And Be'etzim they do. Nevertheless, says the Mishnah, they have to give it back to the owner, to give their father honor. Because everyone looking at that cow remembers, ah, dad, these kids, their dad stole this cow. So every time they'll see it, they're doing a dishonor to their parent. So that's why you have to give it back. So the Gemara asks a beautiful question. Is it because the examples, cow or a donkey, are items that are taken out in public? So everyone will constantly see and remember the sin of their father. What about a bed? Something that remains, something that's identifiable, something that's recognizable, but it's not out in the public. Who might see it and remember their father's stole? Only someone who enters their home, much less people. Mita, if the father stole the bed, then the children want to lay on it. Shulchan, if the father stole the table, and now the children want to use it to eat on it. Mao. So Amar Loi, Rav responds, Right, that I recorded this passage the whole time. And as Rashi says, what did he mean, give it to a wise man? Give a, an idea to a wise man, and that wise man will work with it and expound it. Meaning, says Rashi, that they should also return the bed and the table like they have to return the cow and the donkey. It's something identifiable, it's something recognizable. Even if only one person looking at that item will 
remember, ah, this was something that your father stole. We have to return it. Moving on to the next Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah here is speaking about the following. That during the times of Chazal, times of the Mishnahis, times of the Gemara, it was very common that when kings or governments collected taxes, or when they wanted to collect certain types of customs, the way they did it was, they, 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 they made a statement that from this region, we want to get X amount of money this year for taxes. Or if it was a custom collector, whatever you're charging customs on, from this product, we would like to get X amount of money for customs. The government did not want to bother itself by collecting it from the individuals. So one common business then was that a person told the government, you want a million dollars taxes from this region? I'm laying it out. And the government or the king gave them official rights for them to go individually and to collect taxes or to collect customs. Now, sadly, many of these people collected more than the authority they were given to. You know, as the king told them, you can collect from everyone a certain amount of money. They collected double. They couldn't find Chaim, they collected double from Yankel. The moment they didn't follow the instructions of the king, which was sadly quite common, then we consider whatever they took as theft or as a robbery. And therefore, if when they had your boxes in which they put the money that they collected for customs or for taxes, we can presume that most of the money in there is stolen money. And now says the Mishnah, that if I have a dollar, push it, and I need change, and I'm walking by a tax collector, and I know that in his money box he has a lot of coins. He's not charging anything from me. I ask him, here's a dollar, give me, a, you know, give me coins, give me ten uh, dimes. I'm allowed to do that. Because Mustama, the dimes that he's giving me is stolen money. And I can't benefit from something that's stolen. And likewise, you don't take tzedakah from them. The Ni'idi adds, not only because what they are given, giving is probably stolen, but that will incentivize them to steal more. Because when a person steals, and then they do some good with the money that they stole, they start to rationalize or justify, you see that? I stole, but I'm doing good. Don't take tzedakah from a thief, from a robber. However, says the Mishnah, that we don't say that everything this custom collector has, or everything that this tax collector has is stolen. If he has money in his house, if you see him on the marketplace doing business, you are allowed to ask him for change. Or if he gives tzedakah, you can take the tzedakah. You're not allowed to take it from the box that he used to collect the taxes or the customs. Interesting. Says the Gemaratana, we learn that when does the Mishnah say that you're not allowed to ask him to change your large currency into smaller uh, nominations? That's only if he's not taxing you. But what happens if the custom collector or the tax collector is taxing you 50 cents and you only have a dollar bill? So you give him a dollar bill and you want change. Can you take change from him? And now what would happen if you won't take change from him? You're going to lose the whole dollar. He'll keep the whole dollar. So here it says, If you are being taxed, you can give him a larger coin if that is what you have, and you can take back the rest. Number one, the way Rashi explains, because it's not that for sure everything in the box is theft. He did have rights to collect some taxes. Just that he used to overcharge. He used to overcollect. Number one. And number two, if you won't get change, you'll lose it. So therefore, because of your loss, you are allowed to take change. Now, asks the Gemara, the whole concept, a custom collector is viewed as a robber? Why? Umaychsin. Umaychsin is a ganef or a gazlin. Didn't Shmuel teach us Dina de Malchus which is a very important principle. Now, Dina de Malchus means that the law of the government is law. And biblically has to be honored. It's important to note that there are many limits to Dina de Malchus at least speaking out one very important limit, wherever the dinah de Malchusa goes against a law of the Torah, then we never say dinah de Malchusa dinah. God's law obviously is, takes precedent over any human law. But especially when it comes to financial laws, especially by financial laws, I have the right to give you a gift. I have the right to receive a gift. If me and you are living in this country, we have to accept upon ourselves the rules of the country. And if they make a halacha that, you know, if you go through a red light, you get a fine, I'm obligated by trade to honor that fine. Including in that is the laws of taxes. So if the government levies a tax, you're mechoyev midoyreis to pay taxes. If not, you're stealing. So why is a custom collector or a tax collector viewed as a robber?
Says the Gemara that Amar Abchanina Bar Kahana Amar Shmuel to answer the question that our Mishnah is speaking about the Moichah She'en like Kitzbom. That the custom collector, like the example we gave, he gave the king the million dollars. And the king knows that he laid out the money because he wants to make back 1.2. There's a certain accepted amount for him to collect. Sadly, many of these custom collectors collected without a limit. They push it, abuse the power that they have, sadly, until today, in many third world countries, that's the way it works. You know, they threaten you, and I represent the government, if you're not going to make a deal with me, I'm going to claim that, you know, your mamish cooked your books, and you're going to be into big trouble, and they blackmail you. That moichis is the robber. More, the Mishnah, speaking about a moichis, there were people, they didn't even give the king the million dollars. You understand? They said, I'm a tax collector. And, and they forged documents. And it was sadly something common. Common enough for the Mishnah to say that uh, tax collector, Ganef. The then anything they take is stolen. So they, like they did what they did last year and they added a couple of percent. These Ganef, sadly, the question is how did the first Ganef figure out what to do? Once, once certain Ganefas are in the system, people just copy and they add. Until Mashiach will come and get rid of all this. Now, other people learned that, that Rabchanina Bar Kahana Marshmol's statement and the way Rabbi statement was not said regarding our Mishnah, even though it works. It was said regarding another Mishnah. It says in the Mishnah, we're not allowed to wear wool and linen. And the din is that even if I'm going to be wearing wool and linen, not because I want to benefit from the garment, but if I am doing it because I want to circumvent myself from not having to pay taxes, as was the rule, that if I had a store, whatever was there for sale, see here in America, it's Gavaldic. You know when you pay sales tax? When you sell it. Then, it didn't work that way. So the government official walked into your store, they counted the, how many pieces of merchandise do you have. For each one, they want a certain amount of tax. So the storekeeper many times would wear... Ten pairs of pants. So like this, he, he didn't pay tax over nine. Now the question is, you're not allowed to do that. That's going to be the question. So the, the Mishnah is addressing the Kalayim issue. That if these garments are made out of Kalayim, you're not wearing it because you want to benefit from the garment. You're only wearing it to evade taxes. So the Mishnah says, you're not allowed to wear other Kalayim. Even if you're putting one on top of the other, you're not benefiting from all these garments. You're not allowed to do that. Even though you're only doing it not to pay taxes, because at the end of the day, you're wearing Kalayim. And, and now, the Gemara just makes an observation that this Mishnah does not go according to Rabbi Kiva. As we learn in Abraisa, the Tanakama and the Abraisa, like in the Mishnah, says, You're not allowed to wear Kalayim, even if you're only doing it to evade taxes. Rabbi Shimon says in the name of Rabbi Kiva that you are not violating Kalayim. And what's the underlying argument? You know, in the Shabbos, we continuously learned a person does one thing which has a certain effect, but they don't attend for that effect. Like here, Kalim is I can't wear a garment that's made out of Kalim. I'm not intending to wear a garment. Not for protection, not for dignity. I'm only wearing it not to pay taxes. My intent is not wearing so it's Dabr She'ein Eschaven. Rabbi Kiva holds that there's taken no violation. Like Rabbi Shimon. Omar Sovar, Dabr She'ein Eschaven is Aser. However, however, if not for the issue of Kalayim, then one would be allowed to wear these garments. So here the question is, how can that be? Not paying taxes is Aser Midoy Raisa. Elo Lavriach Men Amechas Mishari. Shmuel says, Dinah Damalchus So for this, Rabbi Hanina Bar Kahana, in the name of Shmuel, answered, But Ma'icha She'ein Le'Kitzba, that Mishnah speaking about a tax collector that's wrongfully collecting, he collects more than the king authorized him to collect. And in the school of Rabbi Yana, they said, No, we're speaking about a tax collector that had no permission. In other words, Rabbi Yana felt that once a person was given permission, then maybe whatever he collects is tax. Maybe he's not such a big ganav. Maybe that's part of what the government gave him. And if you don't like it, then move to another country. Here the tax collector is even worse. Might as well stay here. Think of the Master Law, and then there were others that learned this, again, these two answers regarding another din. If a person is a murderer, a person is a plunderer, a person is a custom collector, and they're coming to take your stuff. And uh, sadly, many people, Kaviyachal, so-called religious, they're religious, they murder, but they're never going to eat truma, or they're never, never going to eat non-kosher. So this person, to save his food from being stolen, he's, he makes an oath, he makes a vow. 
and he says, this is truma. This belongs to the king. And that person, I make a vow, he'll believe that it's like a truma and he won't take it. You could make such a vow, even though normally when it comes to vows, what you say is what counts. Here it's different, because any vow, any nether that's made under coercion, as we learned in Masech Nadarim, is not valid. It's called a vow under coercion. And on this, the Gemara asks, okay, to make a vow to a murderer, to a plunderer, we get that. You have the right to protect your property. However, if a tax collector is coming, you have to pay taxes. How can you try to circumvent that? Shmuel says, Dina de Malchus Adina. So for this, Rabbi Hanina Barakana in the name of Shmuel says, Rabashi says, another answer on all of these works of Tanayim that we're speaking about, the Kananim were a nation that had no, no morality, they had no ethics when it comes to monetary laws. So if the Moichis is a Knani, you right away understand this guy is a Ganath. He only got that seal as another medium, you know, to force people to, to, to part with their money. The Tanya, as we learned, Yisrael v'Knani Yanos, that if you have a Jew and you have a known robber, that the Jew and this known robber are having an issue amongst. The robber lent the Jew money and he wants the money back. And the Jew has some sort of claim. Now the issue here is, is that even if the Jew owes him money, in this scenario, we're speaking about a case where we know that this person in the past robbed from him, in the future will rob from him. So are we allowed to help the Jew save this money? It's a very interesting question. And you should know that really the heart of many dentitis is, is that when someone has a claim against me and I don't pay, in most cases, the reason why I don't pay, the narrow claim that he has I know is true. But I come with a whole other story. Hey, I, I owe you for this. But there were another 50 cases where you owe me. So I feel that I'm justified to keep my money. And that's where things get very complex. And normally we don't like to mix one rule with the other. Because let me deal with this dentator. And if I have a claim against him, make another dentator. But when you're speaking about a robber, you can't make a dentator with him. So here there might be a justification to use the legal system to save the Jew from paying to that robber, even though he might own the money. So we learned over there again that a Yisrael and a Kanani and Oste come to a Dintaira, Yisrael, if you can exonerate him through using the Dintaira, then Zakeyo, and tell the Kanani Anos, that's our rule. Only if it's true. You can't lie to him. If by the Jewish law, the Jew will lose. But by the non Jewish law, the Jew will win. Then we have the right to tell the Goy, listen, by your law, he doesn't have to pay you. That Zakeyo, the Emelikachtin Chem. But if not, if by any legal system, in this narrow case, the Jew owes the money, so the Tanakama says, Rabbi Shmuel says, since this person, this robber, robbed in the past and will rob from the future, so you have to outwit the robber and the Jew should not have to pay him. The Imlav Boim all of Bakifin, and actually in the last line of the Amr says that Bechachma, that you use any type of wit, you outwit him. And this is going to be the problem. Why can you do that? Amazing. Look at our ethics. Even though that person is a robber, nevertheless, the question will be, how are you allowed to outwit him when if in this case you owe him the money? We'll deal with that in a moment. Rabbi Akiva says no. That Rabbi Akiva says, You're not allowed to outwit him because of Kiddush Hashem. And as we speak out many times, that on one hand, when people say that it says, V'negdashti b'toich v'nei Yisrael, which means that we have to make a Kiddush Hashem amongst the Jewish people. The main Kiddush Hashem, or God forbid, opposite, is when we are amongst our fellow Jews. But we do in the Gemara and in Halacha amplify the concept of Kiddush and Chil Hashem even when there's only non-Jews around. In other words, in the positive, when we behave in a way that a non-Jew looks at me and says, Wow, that Jew, look how ethical he is. Blessed is the God of the Jews. That's called the Kiddush Hashem. And God forbid the opposite. So Rabbi Kiva says that even if he's a robber, and we know that he robbed and he will rob in the future from this very person, if the case that was brought up, if the Jew cannot win this case, not Bedini Yisrael, nor Bedini Akum, then you're never allowed to fool or to outwit a non-Jew. It's a Chilo Hashem. Rabbi Kiva, and here the question is, was Rabbi Kiva was saying you only can do it because of Kiddush Hashem. Implying that if not for the issue of Kiddush Hashem, then he would agree that you can outwit him. 
Even on this, the Gemara says, the Gezel Kanani Mishori. Who cares if he will rob in the future, if he robbed in the past? So, so deal with that in the future or in the past. Forget about Kiddush Hashem. Yes, the, the litigant is a robber. So what? If the Jew owes the money, how can you not pay back? Rabbi Kiva was the one that said, Amrab Shimon, that's the question, that when Rabbi Kiva came from the city of Zephyr and he expounded, from where do we know in the Torah that we're not allowed to steal from a non-Jew? And by the way, even from a Kanani. means even from a person who himself has no ethics and money. I can't justify, I'm stealing from a crook. That's not a justification. That person can be the biggest crook in the world. I'm never allowed to steal. And the proof, the basis from the Apostle and Pasha's Bahar, the trader there is dealing with a Jew that sadly, from becoming very impoverished, sold himself to a non-Jew. So there is an obligation on the Jewish community to redeem the slave by paying his master what, the redemption money. So you calculate, you know, you buy a slave, a slave you can only buy until the year of Yovel. So let's say he bought him 49 years before Yevel and he paid $49. So a dollar a year. So if the Jewish community got their act together 10 years into the servitude, you pay him $39. The Torah says, I'm after he was sold, you have to redeem him. You have to pay the owner his value. Says the Gemara Kufya Gimelam meaning, don't help him escape. Theft, you can't steal. Now on the other hand, says the Braisa, if you have to pay him out, what happens if the owner only wants an exorbitant amount of money. So are you obligated to overpay for him? That also not. So, Yochel, Yigleim, Olaf, should we become a Goylem? Should we act foolishly? So that not. You should make a real reckoning. Ask him, how much money did you pay for him? And again, buying a, a Goy, buying a Jewish slave by Jewish law can only be valid until Yovel. So if you bought him, the max is 49 years. So see how much money he paid for every year. He might say he wants to make profit. Say to make profit. But there's a limit. So you have to be careful not to overpay, but you have to buy him out. So you, which, here you see you can steal from a guy. So question on Rabbi Kiva, why did, is it only about Kiddush Rechel Hashem? It's about stealing. Answers Rabbi Yosef initially like Asha. Maybe when it comes to a Knani, you are allowed to steal from a Knani. The only issue is Chilol Hashem. The Pasik and Pasha's Bahar, that you have to pay the master of the Jewish slave, the slave's value, to redeem him, is only if the master is a Gertoyshev. What's a Gertoyshev? A Gertoyshev is a type of convert that we do not do today. The only type of conversions that we do today are people who accept upon themselves to keep all of the mitzvahs of the Torah. But during the time that Yovel is biblically functioning in the land of Israel, then Bezin was allowed to accept some sort of quasi-convert. A resident alien. A convert that's not fully converted. There's a three-way machlekes tanoim in the sechla v'yadazara. What exactly does that get need to accept upon himself or herself? One opinion says not to serve idols. The other opinion says that they have to take upon themselves to keep all of the mitzvahs aside of not eating kosher. That was the thing they can't do. So they're not a full-fledged convert, but aside of they want to eat nevelas and trefas and chalavakim and all the stuff they're accepting all the mitzvahs. And the third opinion, which is the, the way Rambam Paskins, is that people who, take their, who make a commitment to keep all the seven Noahide laws because God Almighty commanded them to keep it. And many Goyim keep most of the seven Noahide laws, but sadly they don't always do it because Hashem commanded. And Va'oid, Vahua Ikir, we're living in the Western countries, many people here are Christians or Catholic, that Christianity is Avaidazara, Mamish, even for Goyim. And not like people mistakenly think that. Now, are those who say that Goyim can believe in Shituf, in some sort of partnership, many of the Shainim hold, they cannot. But those who say that since it says Shema Yisrael, that a Jew has to understand the Hashem Echad, that somehow implies that Goyim don't have to accept the Hashem Echad. But on this we know that the meaning of Shituf, that they might be allowed to believe in, is as long as they call Hashem the God of Gods. The Karolei Elikad Elikayim. Which means that they believe that there are certain powers other than God. But they still have to believe that God is the ultimate power that has the veto power over everything else. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is, God forbid, is that they believe in that there's some sort of partnership in God Himself. Or division in God Himself. That's Mamash Avodah And when Mashiach is going to come, it's not just a Narashkite. That is in violation of, of the seven Noahide laws. So, 
it attempts Rabbi Yosef to say that only a person who is a ger from him you cannot steal Abayah says that cannot be because the source that Rabbi Kiva brings from Pasha's Bahar Tarvayu as the Braisa expounds on the verse in Pasha's Bahar speaking about a Jew who broke Shemitah and Yoivu thinking he'll make more money to which the Torah says you break God's rules you lose money and eventually he'll have to sell his movables and then he'll have to sell his land and then he'll have to sell himself to a Jew and then he'll have to sell himself to a non-Jew. And even in that, the Pasuk speaks about the nimkar le'ger toishov. True, ger toishov. And then the Pasuk continues, eker ger. Or if he sold himself to an idol worshiper or to an idol itself. Not only will he sell himself to you, but even to a convert, to a ger tzedek. And not only to a ger tzedek, but God forbid, if he doesn't do tshuva, we're speaking specifically about keeping the laws of Shemitah and Yoivo. Then he'll have to even sell himself to a, uh, to a resident alien. And God forbid, and further, that goes to a, a non-Jew. And then, he will sell himself to an Eked. That means a person who sells himself to an idol. Meaning a person who sold himself to a church. Even he has to be redeemed with money. You're not allowed to help him escape. You can't steal from any guy, even from a guy, sadly, that believes in Yashka, who is an Oyved Avoy Dezorah. You can't steal. Salam Arav Kasha. The way you reconcile is that Kandik Zeloi, when did Rabbi Kiva say in the second verse, you never allowed to steal? That's stealing. Stealing is never permitted from anyone. However, the Braisa, speaking about a robber that took a Jew to Adon Torah, where Rabbi Kiva says that if not for Chilol Hashem, you would be able or allowed to outwit him. You're not telling the Jew to steal. You're telling the Jew not to pay back the money. That now is not as bad. That's the approach now. We don't pass in that way, but that's the answer over here. The Kanbaf Kos Halva Asay. Many of the, uh, of the interpretation in this Gemara is saying even more than that. That even that, it's not that we're telling the Jew not to pay him now. We're telling the Jew to pay him later. That we're allowed to outwit the robber so he should get paid later. And even that we don't do because of Chil Hashem. The question is, if you're telling me that holding back payment is something permitted from a non-Jew, then when the non-Jew bought the Eved Ivri, he paid him money up front, and now the Jew owes him his work. So that should be like he owes him a debt. If the Eved escapes, he's not robbing. He's just withholding payment. And if withholding payment is permitted, then why does the Torah prohibit it? So you see that that is also prohibited. To which Damar answers that Rava goes according to his opinion that holds that when you buy an evidivity, it's not only that he owes you his labor. You actually own him. And therefore, if he escapes, your mom is stealing his property. Which is why we're never allowed to do it. We're never allowed to steal. However, if some article was lost by a non-Jew, the obligation that we just read yesterday in Parshas Kiseitse called Hashavas Aveda does not apply if the owner is not Jewish. Avada, if you give it back, you make a Kiddush Hashem. As we have many stories in the Gemara about great Tanoim and Amaroim that gave back articles of tremendous value to, 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 to their rightful owner. And the rightful owner praised Hashem. And that's a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. But as far as am I obligated, that is where we differentiate and we say, And interestingly, the Gemara is going to quote another source, not Rabbi Kiva's source, but Rav Huna said, And we're quoting a Pasuk in Parshas Ekev, where it says, That you will consume the possessions of the nations, That God will give into your hands. This Pasuk is speaking about war. How we explain war? Certainly difficult, but uh, during a war, if a soldier kills during battle, he's not called a murderer. And the possessions that are plundered from our enemies during war is not called theft. And the Torah says that specifically by war, which implies, while they are losing the battle, then you can take their possessions. Implying, not during wartime, stealing is never permitted. Where do we know that from? Because in Parshas, 
in the psukim that deal with the mitzvah of Hashavas Aveda. The Torah adds the words Lechol Avedas Ochicham. Anything that was lost to your brother, to your brother you have to return. The you don't have to return it to a non-Jew. Now, but Amos says the Gemara, you might think that you're not obligated. You're not obligated to pick it up. But maybe you would think if you already picked it up, then you have to give it back to the owner, whoever the owner is. That again, in Parshas Kiseitse, the Pasuk is giving you the mitzvah of returning your brother's lost item after you found it. The Titus is speaking about you finding it, the Asaliyade, means even after you found it, the mitzvah is Aveda Sachicha and Aveda's Kanani Muteres. Tanya, we learned in Abraisa, that Pinchas Ben Yoir says that you should know, Bemakim, Shiyesh, Chil Hashem, wherever there's going to be a Chil Hashem. For example, if a non Jew loses something in a Jewish neighborhood, he will assume the founder was Jewish. Not even an announcement was made. That means they're not honest. That's a chil Hashem. Afilu Omar Shmuel says Shmuel. Another halacha. Tausay muteres. If a makes a mistake, again, kiddush Hashem, you have. Chil Hashem, you have. But the obligation is not there to correct the mistake. For example, Kihadah Shmuel Zavan Mikuti. Shmuel bought, here the Kutim are considered non-Jews. He bought a lakna de dahava, a golden bowl. Bimar de parzala. The owner, the non-Jewish owner thought that it was only gold-plated, but really it was an iron or a copper bowl. It was really a golden bowl. And he sold it to Shmuel. And he charged him only dalit zuz for zuz. He charged him the price for a copper bowl. That's golden-plated. Va'avla lechadzuzah, Shmuel added an additional coin. Shmuel added an additional coin to make sure there won't be a chilol Hashem. Because if the Nanju will discover that maybe, maybe he, he knew it was really gold, he's not going to think that. Because the fact that Shmuel was charged four and he gave him five, that gave the impression that Shmuel is a little bit um, in Yiddish, so flagging. He doesn't know exactly what's happening, so a guy that does that wouldn't know to prevent a chilol Hashem. Rav Kahana, Zavid Mikuti, he bought from a Nanju 120 barrels. The owner, the non-Jewish owner, charged him for 100. Again, the mistake was made by the Nanju. Here also, Rav Kahana added another Zuz. And not only did he add another Zuz, but he verbalized to the seller, I want you to know, he told, I'm selling you 100. Rav Kahana says, I'm not even going to count. I'm relying on you. And that's a mistake. No, a mistake that an Andrew makes is not something that you're obligated to correct. Again, but if you correct it, you make a Kiddush Hashem. Amalei, Chazi, you should know, the Allah Samich, I'm relying on you. Says the Gemara, Ravina, Zavan, Dikla, Hu, Bekuti, Latzalacha, Ravina, and Ananju became partners. They bought wood, and their purpose of buying wood was to use pieces of wood. They needed to have wood for a fireplace, for fuel, for who knows what. And they looked at a tree, and they, you know, they guessed, they knew, this tree will produce, raise 20 logs, 10 and 10. They never articulated which tent should go to whom. And really, the quality of wood is better the closer it is to, to the trunk. So since they never articulated that, so here the Gemara says, Amalei Shemaya, Ravina told his worker, Kedam, Va'aisi, Meikare, go and take my ten pieces from the trunk. The Kuti Minyana Yada, the Nanju, only was concerned about ten. And, and, he, and being that he never showed any concern about the quality of those ten, so that's not considered theft. That's uh, simply in partnerships. You know, if one doesn't care about what part they get, then there's nothing wrong for the other one to take something that for him is more valuable. Rav Ashi have a cause. Rav Ashi was walking on a road. Chazah So he saw a, a, a branch from a vineyard in someone's orchard. Utleiba kitufei the envy that had on it a cluster of grapes. And he wanted to buy the grapes. So he tells the worker like this, Zil go, Zil, Chazi, go and see. If the owner is a kuti, then bring me the grapes. And as we'll see soon, pay and bring me. If it belongs to a Jew, don't bring me these grapes. Now, Ravashi was the most honest person in the world. It just didn't sound good. It sounded as if he's saying, if it belongs to Ananju, then you can take it. And Ananju overheard him. And that's why Chachamim Hizoharu Bidvarechem. Vishama Wakuti, Tavayasa Bipardesa. There was a Jew, there was a non Jew sitting there. Amar Leil Likuti Shari Asravashi, yeah, that's Jewish law. You can steal just because the owner is not Jewish. So Amar Leil said the opposite. He wanted to buy it. Akuti would not give the honor to Ravashi. 
and he would sell it to him. A Jew would not want to get paid for it. And Abashi did not want to take gifts. Amalei Kutish killed the May, or Kuti would take money. But Yisrael Loish killed the May. And as Suleyman Melech says, that those who hate gifts, they have a long life. And Abashi did not want to benefit from anything unless he paid for it. Kufa we learned before. Amar Shmuel, Shmuel says, Dino, the Malchus Adino. Amar Rava, Rava will say, I'll prove it to you. Teda, the Kotli, Diklevi, Goshre, Gishri. Because the government officials, they take for tax, they take logs of wood. And they used to make out of these logs of wood bridges. Don't think the Brooklyn Bridge. Think a little village with a little uh, spring of water that you can stomach, uh, jump over. But if you put a log on it, then your shoes don't get wet. In other words, the point is they didn't make a shinoi in the log. They used those uh, logs simply as the bridge. And we all use it. Now, if they take it, and if they take it wrongfully, as we'll see soon, if you don't hold dinah the machus adina, then it's theft. And if it's theft, how can you benefit from it? So it's a proof that since they were authorized by the government to take these logs, dinah the machus adina, the logs belong to the government, it's not theft, and we can all benefit from these old bridges. Amalei Rava, Amalei Abaya. The Dilma, maybe Dina de Malchusa is not Dina. Maybe it's considered theft. Do you know why we're allowed to use the bridge? Maybe Mishum di Iyaush Luhuminayu Marayu, because their owners had Yush. Here there's a problem, because again, we're speaking about a bridge that really didn't change. But maybe because it's Yush, you can use it. Amalei. So he responded, Eloi Dina de Malchusa Dina. I want you to know that if not for the fact that the law of the land is the law, Hechi Miyashi, why? Would they give up? Or, he responded, even if they gave up, since like we mentioned, there's no shinui in the item, it still belongs to the owner. But one second, we learned in Ahmed Aleph that even though if the tax collector doesn't do what he told the king he will do, if he goes beyond his boundaries, then he's considered a ganav. And the fact is, is that they were given permission to take a certain amount of value of logs from everyone equally. But they didn't want to bother themselves to go after everyone in the village. They went over to the first person. And that l'chur is Geneva. The answer is the Gemara, no, it's not Geneva. Because Kida Amar Malka, they are doing what the king told them to do. Malka Amar, the king told them, Zilu Vikitlu Vikal Bagi, or this is part of the question. The king told them, go and take some wood from everyone in the buggy, from everyone in the valley. But they only take it from one, from one uh, owner. Answers the Gemara, Shlucha the Malka Kamalka. That the messengers, the Shluchim of the king, are just like the king. Meaning, just like if the king himself would come to collect. The king would not go to everyone in the valley. The king would take from one person, and then he would empower that one person. You know, there's ten people here. I'm taking from you $100 worth. You only have to give me ten. And you collect the other 90. Each one should give ten to you. So just like the king has the right to do it, he also has the right to do it. Now the fact is, is that the person who gave his log never used that opportunity to collect everyone else's share. But that's on them. That's not on the, on the tax collector. The wood is not stolen. Everyone can use the bridge. They don't bother themselves to collect everyone else's little portion. They are the ones that lost out. They should have collected from everyone, everyone's fear portion. When a tax collector goes into a granary, it was very common for many partners to use the same granary. Everyone brought in, let's say, 100 pounds, and everyone did what they needed to do. It was also very normal that everyone walked out there with the grain, not on the same day. So the shlamazel that was there last, he was there when, they, when the tax collector walked in. And again, the tax collector had on his head, from this granary, I'm taking X amount. Really, that X amount should be from everyone. But if he takes it only from one person, so says Rava that para manasa, that he has the right to collect everything from that one person. And again, that one person should go collect from everyone else. Para manasa the malk. Hanimili, when is he allowed to do it? That's only by Shutafa, if the other people are partners. However, Avalarisa, but if the person, the Shlamazal that was there, is not even a landowner, he's only a sharecropper. 
which means he gets a portion of the grain, but he doesn't own land. Here the Gemara says, Gavaldik, It's considered theft if he takes anything from the sharecropper. When you own land, you're a landlord. So if you have to lay out money for the government, it's not going to prevent you from buying land. It's not going to stop you from working. If a sharecropper is who never owns anything to begin with. He only gets a portion of the produce. If he's going to have to lay out the money, he won't want to work as a sharecropper. And the government doesn't want to de-incentivize people to work. Committing America. The logic, you want to incentivize people to work. So the king would never allow the tax collector to take anything from the others. And if that is done, that is beyond the dinah, the machosa dinah, and he's a gazlin. If a tax collector comes into a city to collect taxes, he doesn't have to go to every single person. He can find one townsperson. He can't take the money from everyone from him, but he can take collateral for everyone's money. Because again, the communication then is not like today. But the tax collector is going to have to find everyone. He doesn't live there. But if he goes to a fellow village man and he tells him, listen, from this village I'm getting $1,000. Yeah, a thousand people, everyone is giving me one dollar. I'm taking your thousand dollar horse. You get me the thousand, he's allowed to do that. The Hanamili, that's only the burla, ara, the cargo, the haishata. That's only for the land tax and for the head tax of this year. Avoshata, the khalif. But if the tax collector wants to collect back taxes, he can do that from the people who didn't pay last year. But he's not allowed to take it from me or take a lateral from me for someone else's back taxes, because like we mentioned when we learned the Mishnah, really these tax collectors, they paid up front the money for the king. The king wanted from this region a million dollars, they laid out the million dollars. So after the year passes, the king is happy. The king got his share. So the king forgave. So now he's collecting it, stam on his own. Even that he has the right, but only from the proper person who did not pay last year. But he cannot throw that burden on anyone else. says, The people who make a living from fertilizing fields, what they did was they owned many animals, and they used to park their animals in a certain part of the field, surrounding the animals with a pen, with a fence, and they stayed there until, you know, uh, they fertilized that whole area. Then they moved the pen right adjacent. And they went from piece to piece until the whole field was fertilized. The fact sad fact was that these fertilizers they made the living by having animals that create yeah and, 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 and if other animals joined the herd joined they weren't honest to the point that Rava said that fertilizers who work within the Tchum Shabbos within 2000 Amas of any city we can presume that some of his animals are stolen and therefore, asur likach mehem, you're not allowed to buy any animals from them. Maitama mishum de ma'arva cheivasa de masa bahadayo, because animals of the city that belong to others, they mix animals and track animals. Like you can look, you can tell a person by their friends. Chutz letchum, but if he works out of the tchum, muta likach mehem, then you can buy animals from these fertilizers. They don't steal animals. It's only that if they have new chaveidim that join their group, they keep them. But if the owners are running after their own animals, even if they do their work, this is something that we call circumstantial evidence, then also, then you're not allowed to buy animals from them. Obviously, they didn't think too highly of this business of fertilizing fields. Emirates Hashem, to be continued.